off the roof. Father, we thank you for this time that we have this morning to come together. Thank you that the, the sun is shining bright. It's a beautiful day. We just thank you for this opportunity to, to come together in oneness, to worship you, praise you, to offer up worth to you, the only one that's worthy. Father, that you would use this time to, to release what it is you want to, to be released. Now we would all be prepared to receive for you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are continuing to look at the Seven Spirits of God, and this week we're going to focus in on the Spirit of Understanding, uh, which is paired with the Spirit of Wisdom in Isaiah 11.2. Uh, before we get there, let's do a recap of the series, Cornerstone. That's where we started, right? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the starting place for everything. Yes, chief. I can't help it. I know you can't either. He's the starting place for everything. He is the one that has placed the everlasting kingdom in our hands. And we talk about camp life, all about that life in the wilderness. We focus on the rebellions in the book of Numbers and how those rebellions hold up a mirror uh, to see our own rebellions. And ultimately coming to see that it is imperative for us to remember what God has done for us, who he has shown up as for us, and to stay focused on the mission he has given us. And again, I use that word mission in place of, of assignment, uh, because I just feel like it gives us a little bit more focus to use the word mission over assignment. And then to, uh, be reliant on God for everything. That was part of camp life, was being reliant on God for every need that they had out there, whether it was food, water, um, protection. Next, we looked at the tabernacle. God wanted to dwell and be with his people, so he made a way for that to be a reality through the tabernacle. And we discussed how that was just the beginning and that God, through Jesus, made a way for us to be the dwelling place uh, for God's spirit. But through belief in Jesus Christ, we become the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. And then we talked about priestly anointing, Christ's priesthood, it created a, a new class of royal priests in us. The nation of Israel was called a, a royal priesthood in Exodus 19.6. Uh, now in Christ's new covenant, the title royal priesthood is reapplied to the church, which means it's reapplied to us, right? To you. Which means that all the sons of glory get to serve as priests. That's us, right? In Christ, the church becomes a royal priesthood and a holy nation. When we talk about servant and son, we looked in Isaiah at the servant of the Lord, which we know was talking about Jesus, how he showed up to serve, not to be served, and how he did so as a son. His act of service allowed us to be brought into the family and into sonship, which means that no matter what the mission is that God has given us uh, or, or assignment, uh, you're there to serve, and you're there to serve in the authority and power of a son. Excuse me. Very thirsty. We talk about altar and offering. And we talked uh, about that through Hebrews 9 to be able to understand what Jesus did as the ultimate and final offering that atoned for our sins and made way for us to enter into the presence of God without fear. We know in the Old Testament, 
entering into the presence of God was uh, a place that could result in death. And we don't have to worry about that now because of that, because of what Christ did for us. Uh, then we were uh, treated to Angie talking about praise after that. And to do so, we have to be after the heart of God. Like David, being called one after God's own heart is, is a mark on those who make their life a life of praise. This is uh, illustrated in the birth of Judah and his mother naming him. He said in Genesis 29:35, uh, this time I will praise the Lord. After all the struggles she had, she gave birth to Judah and said, this time I will praise the Lord. And Angie offered up some uh, what I'm calling timeless questions because they are, are questions that we can ask every single day. Uh, what choice will I make in the middle of opposition? A timeless question. Will I praise or will I shrink back? As well as, uh, what am I doing with my praise? Where am I placing work? These are, these are powerful questions to answer every single day. Uh, then was worship. And in Angie's discussion on worship, we've talked, uh, we started in Isaiah 6, looking at how we must exalt God to the point where we become small. Basically, next to the fullness and holiness of God, we should feel small. And then came the question, can you measure the standard of worship uh, uh, by feeling God? Is, is that a standard where we can measure uh, uh, the worth of our worship? If we base our level of worship in anything by feeling God, we are going to be let down. We know that. Worship isn't about us. It's not about our feelings. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's, it's got to be all about God. When we worship, we're doing so as a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. And, the, and there was a reminder there that in that sacrifice, there is a burning of flesh. And it's not always going to feel good. Again, it's not about us. It's all about God. And then there were some more tremendous and challenging questions that she offered up. What am I demanding of myself first? Another great question to ask. Is my source of what Jesus is doing coming from today or the past? Am I living in the old wineskins or am I stepping into the new wineskins that he has for us? Am I up for a great sacrifice? Am I up to being a continually living sacrifice? This is one of those questions that, that can be hard to answer because Gosh, am I willing to, to be a living sacrifice every single day? Am I willing to get up and, and, and ask Jesus what it is he wants to do over my own desires? Am I up to being a continually living sacrifice? God wants a pure and spotless sacrifice. Am I going to give him what he's worthy of every single day? Am I going to focus in on what it is that he's worthy of and give him that? which is all of myself as a living sacrifice. So we looked at prayer. I wanted us to see the power in the oneness of corporate prayer and to be able to walk away with, with, from that with a sense that as the church we are one and should be coming together to uh, lift up prayers that seek to mobilize and advance the body of Christ and really setting aside self and fleshly personal motives. We talked about the basis of a person's approach to God in prayer is never simply man's search for God, but it was God's gracious initiative that allowed that to happen, the establishing of covenant and the promise of help and deliverance, deliverance on the basis of that covenant. That's what we come to, to God through. Prayer cannot always be about self. We looked at a lot of different instances in, in the scripture where Jesus over and over again was talking to the Father about oneness. That we should have the same oneness as the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's selfless, not selfish. In our prayers of oneness, we are doing away with, with self and turning our attention and passion toward oneness. All right. Apart from that, we, we should share all things in common. We are one body, the bride of Christ, the church. It's time to 
and we start praying like, it's time to focus on oneness. We all have Christ in us, but moreover, we are all in Christ. We want to see the power of prayer put self in the altar and, and petition for the sake of oneness. And then we uh, started talking about the seven spirits of God. Started with the Spirit of the Lord. And really focusing in on the Spirit of the Lord resting upon uh, the the root from the branch of Jesse, or the, the branch from the root of Jesse, how the Spirit was resting upon him was a permanent thing. It wasn't like we saw in the rest of the Old Testament where you know we talked about the Spirit of the Lord would come and would rest on somebody and then would lift off. It wouldn't stay. It wasn't a permanent thing. But what this was talking about was permanent. And then we looked at, at Luke 4 in there. And Jesus quoting Isaiah 61 and then telling them today the scripture has been fulfilled in their hearing. But the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he told them that this scripture was fulfilled in their hearing that day. There's to be no separation between us and God, no sense of distance. We should be able to come to the Father at any time. This is part of the freedom that we can grab hold of, uh, the access that we have in our hands. Then we talk about the spirit of wisdom. The wisdom being the general capacity to have a right judgment in all things. Wisdom comes from a life of experience and, and reflection on that. And it shouldn't be confused with learning. Now we look at Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This isn't purely human wisdom. Purely human wisdom has no merits on its own. And Paul quoted the Old Testament uh, to demonstrate that uh, God would destroy human wisdom in, in 1 Corinthians 1.19. He said, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will form. And he was quoting Isaiah 29. The true God-given wisdom, we know, is, is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without uncertainty or insincerity. And we know that the wisdom of God is to be revealed to the world as a whole, through the life and ministry of the church. Ephesians 3.10 says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This wisdom is rooted and grounded in God. True and spiritual wisdom is God's gift to us. We have to be able to take hold of that. It is a gift to us. So that gets us caught up. Today we're going to talk about the spirit of understanding. So understanding goes hand in hand with wisdom. That there is an entirely distinct function between the two. Whereas wisdom allows you to make better decisions, if you remember last week we touched on the flow of that from data to information to knowledge to wisdom, right? If you take all the bits of data and turn them, uh, put them together, you turn them into information. You take all the information, you start to put that together, you get some knowledge. You take your knowledge, you put that together, you have wisdom. And then you can make good decisions. And from there, understanding, this allows you to see beyond the decisions. I want you to be able to see the connection in these pairs as they are, are listed in Isaiah 11.2. But at the same time, be able to make out the distinctiveness in the seven attributes of the Spirit of God Again, be looking for the questions. Talked about this the last couple of weeks. Be looking for the questions to dive deeper into with Holy Spirit. Those questions that you have, that you ask, and the answers you get, you're able to bring back and share with the rest of us. And it could unlock something and sharpen the rest of us. 
could unlock revelation for us. Excuse me. Remember that oneness doesn't look to the person on the platform to have all the answers. We all have a part to play because we are all gifted and anointed differently. But we're all a part of the same body, right? The body of Christ. And so we all have something to bring to that. I'm going to give you a quote from Martin Luther. It says, I did not learn my divinity at once, but was constrained by my temptations to search deeper and deeper. For no man without trials and temptations can attain the true understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Searching deeper and deeper, that's the thing I want you to grab hold of. So be looking for the questions to dig deeper and deeper into. Okay, before we get to, to looking at understanding a little closer, we need to look at a distinction between understanding and revelation. Right? Some, uh, translations will, will talk about the spirit of revelation instead of the spirit of understanding. And our, our Christian terminology, sometimes we'll use these words and we won't think about what the actual definition is. And are these words interchangeable? So Isaiah 11.2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And like I said, some translations will say the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Um, those are few and far between, but they are out there. And there are different areas where you will see Revelation used, but we have to understand what this means. And so focusing in on Isaiah 11.2, um, that's where I want to look at when we talk about uh, the distinction between understanding and revelation. I looked through a lot of different translations to see what they said. And there are a couple other uh, things I found. Um, I found the word insight used in place of understanding. And that was in the Tanakh translation, which is done by the Jewish publication, Jewish publication society. And it says a spirit of wisdom and insight. And then I also found in the New English translation that says, uh, a spirit that provides the ability to execute plans. So instead of understanding, they, they translated that the ability to execute plans. So what this means is, uh, creativity on the part of the translator or translators, uh, when we, we see different things there and different from the word understanding. And we're going to get to why that is here in just a minute. So we as Christians look at these words, uh, understanding and revelation. And we, like I said, we may use them interchangeably, but they are not. We can look at the definitions and we see that revelation is about revealing or disclosing. Excuse me, looking at the definitions, when you get into the dictionary, Revelation is about revealing or disclosing. Uh, it's something revealed or disclosed. Especially a striking disclosure as of something not before realized. When we look at uh, theology, Revelation is about God's disclosure of himself and his will to his creatures, to us. Revelation is an instance of such communication or disclosure, uh, something communicated or disclosed to us, or something that contains a disclosure in the Bible. And then looking at definitions of understanding, there, there's a lot of different definitions there. But there's, there's one that has value for our conversation here, and that is a superior power of discernment, enlightened intelligence. And that's the dictionary definition that, that closely aligns with what Isaiah 11.2 is talking about. When we look at the dictionary of Bible themes, there is a, a definition of understanding that says, God-given perception of the nature and meaning of things, resulting in sound judgment and decision-making. In particular, the ability to discern spiritual truth and to apply it to human disposition and conduct. 
So if we're using the word revelation, we should be thinking about God revealing himself to us. That doesn't mean that we have understanding of what is revealed. When we're talking about Isaiah 11 too, we're talking about the spirit of the Lord and the attributes that will rest permanently on the shoot from the stump of Jesse or, or the branch from his roots that will bear fruit. So we know that this is a messianic reference, which is a reference to Jesus. While as a whole, the verse is a revelation to us about him. The spirit of understanding is not the spirit of revelation. Spirit of understanding, this is truly that it, that attribute of the king of kings. And that's ability to, to see to the heart of an issue and the capacity for discernment. So looking at the Hebrew, you find the word benah, okay, and that is the root word for understanding or what's called the lemma. And so we look at the dictionary of biblical languages, understanding is, or, or benah is understanding, insight, or discernment. And if you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word there is synesis, and it's what is understood, insight, or understanding. So switching over to look at the word revelation in the dictionary of Bible themes, it says the making known of God's person, nature, and deeds in Scripture, history, and supremely the person of Jesus Christ. God is also made known to a limited yet important extent through his creation. In the Hebrew and Greek for the word revelation, there are different words that are not found in Isaiah 11.2. Galah is the Hebrew word for revelation, and it simply means reveal, have information to be made known or be made known. Um, looking at the Greek word, it's apocalypsis, and that's revelation, what is revealed, a disclosure. So you start to see the, these words are not interchangeable. So again, the use of the word revelation in Isaiah 11-2 is just a creative way of a translator or translators to bring a different perspective to understanding because in Christian uh, talk, we may use understanding and revelation interchangeably, even though they aren't interchangeable. You can see that uh, this change will only cause problems when you see the word revelation used in other places. It can become difficult to, to keep track of that. So looking at the Hebrew lemma, which is that root word, benah, and the Greek lemma of synesis, nowhere will you find either used where a definition of revelation can be found. I know that's a lot, but you know we, we need to get a basic grasp of original languages so that we have a proper perspective of what is being communicated here when we're talking about understanding. Understanding is that God-given perception and meaning of things. Again, resulting in sound judgment and decision-making. And revelation is God making himself known, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. All right. I hope you're all still with me after that. Um, you, you have to get into that a little bit just to kind of parse these things out because you're going to see the word revelation used in different places in the New Testament. So you need to know what's being talked about if we see things start to be closely aligned. What's the difference between understanding and revelation? And now you have an idea. All right, understanding in the Old Testament. Understanding in the Old Testament is, is seen as a gift of God. In Daniel 2.21, it says, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So it's a gift. Understanding is a gift of God. It's also to be prayed for. Psalm 119, verse 34 says, Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart.
I really love that that verse. Praying for understanding. So that we can and keep what it is that God's asking of us with our whole heart, with complete and radical obedience, and, and pouring all of ourselves into following God. There's also questions, where shall wisdom or understanding be found? And the response is God alone. If you look at Job 28-12, that question is right there, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place? Of understanding. Job 28 20 says, From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? Again, the questions are asked twice in that same chapter. Verse 23 says, God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. God knows that place. We need to be, again, Closely connected to God. We talked about this last week when it comes to wisdom. We need to be closely connected to God if we are to have understanding. It's a gift from Him. It's something that we're praying for. But He is the one who knows the way. He knows where it's at. Wisdom also results from the study of the divine precepts. Again, going back to Psalm 119, verse 104 says, Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. That's that's pretty strong language there. There's also careful reflection in the sanctuary. Psalm 73, 17 says, let's back up to verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God then I discerned therein. We talked about this a while back too, of remaining in the sanctuary. This isn't a place we should ever see ourselves outside of. The sanctuary isn't this space that we're sitting in right now. We're carrying the sanctuary. If we're the dwelling place of God, we're carrying the sanctuary with us everywhere we go, because that's who we are. And answering the question, where shall wisdom or understanding be found, it can also be found in careful with us. We just talked about hearing. Uh, is also no assurance of understanding, though. Just because we hear things. In Daniel 12, verse 8, it says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Hearing doesn't always mean understanding. If we are outside of God's understanding and trying to come into that under our own strength, trying to understand things in our own power, this is where we're going to be at. You can hear, but not understand. Going back to Job 28, verse 28. Does any said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So understanding has a moral character to it as well. And, and, and you see, we keep going back to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord has uh, brings us into understanding because it has a moral character there. Because we turn away from evil, that's understanding. We also need to look at it's not excluding perceiving as well. Psalm 49, verses 3 and 4 says, My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. This doesn't mean that God hasn't given us the ability to think also. In our, our connection with him and, and with the providence that, that God has, he has set us up in a way to do the work that he's asked, asked us to do. To be able to fulfill the missions that he sent us on. He, uh, Psalm 49, verses 3 and 4. He set us up to be able to perceive things as well. 
we look at Proverbs 4, verse 5, it says, Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Understanding is to be gotten. Jumping down to verse 7, says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, or whatever you get, get insight. It's something we're going after as well. We're praying for it. We're going after understanding. It's something to be sought after. Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. We're going after it with everything. Everything we have, we are going after wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 4.1 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. It can be learned as well. And that's something I hope we're doing today. We see references to understanding of a foreign language as well. And Daniel's understanding of all subjects when he was interrogated by Nebuchadnezzar. And that was in Daniel 1. The emphasis of this word understanding, it goes beyond a collection of data. Right? Acquired knowledge must be used and used correctly. The, the directive is to, to trust the Lord rather than relying on our own understanding. And that's Proverbs 3, five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That connection. We have to remain connected to God. On the one hand, God is the most important object of understanding. And we can see that in Jeremiah 9, 24. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. But in an intellectual sense, he is beyond a person's understanding. He's beyond our understanding. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The understanding that God has is unsearchable. This is, this is why we should be seeking after it. We should be going after it. It says it's unsearchable, but he's going to allow us to search anyways, right? He's going to allow us to plumb the depths of his understanding. And we get to do that because we have been brought into the family through Jesus. And so we have access there. We just need to go boldly before him. In the New Testament, understanding can, can designate a positive quality uh, as, as when the, the scribe con concurred with Jesus about loving the Lord with all your understanding. And also in Paul's prayer for the Colossians where he, he coupled it with the, the spiritual wisdom. It can be the means of understanding an, an important truth. <clears throat> Excuse me, Second Timothy 2.7 says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So there is a, a contemplation, a meditation there that's taking place. Think over what I say. I can also be talking about the Lord's will. I mean, Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is it he's calling you into? What is his will in that calling, in that mission that he's put you on? There could also be a negative quality to this word. Jesus used parables because of his audience's slow, slowness to understand. Matthew 13, 13 says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Even his own disciples did not understand the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. 
and, and Jesus notes that infants understand God's program better than the intellectuals. Matthew eleven twenty five says, And at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Paul notes the limits of human understanding by uh, noting that uh, the peace of God surpasses it. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This, this is something to, to really kind of look at when we were talking about and praying about our having the mind of Christ, that, that gift that we have in the mind of Christ, God's peace that surpasses all understanding. So all the understanding that would get people riled up and want to argue about different things, there's a peace that surpasses all of that and enlarge your heart and your mind in Christ. It can also be talking about the pagans. Uh, act as they do because of their darkened understanding. Ephesians 4.18 says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So this is a, a want to be disconnected from God. They think they have understanding, but it is not what it should be. They're being actually lied to. On the other hand, you know, John, he affirms that understanding has been made possible by the revelation of Jesus, by that declaring of who, of God, who he is through Jesus. In 1 John 5.20, it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is another one of those incredible verses that we need to really pay attention to. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So it's something we have access to already. We just got to look, are, are we opening that up and, and really looking at that? What has been revealed through Jesus allowed us to have that understanding? There's more contrasting of, of revelation and understanding laying out further that uh, we need to be thinking about these words as distinct, distinct and not as synonyms. There is a difference there. Understanding then involves the, the cognitive, the spiritual, and the moral. We just looked at all those in all those different scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament. While human efforts... They are called for, and some of those, the ability to understand really comes from God. That's really the root of it, is in God. And the final test of understanding is obedience to God. Are you going to be obedient to what it is that He is calling you into? There's greater levels of understanding there when we are. I want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. That was a lot of snow just fell off. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 3. Start in verse 1. All right. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord. 
in the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was where the great high place Oh, there it is. Okay. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. Interesting. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk, if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. If we really believe that we are the ecclesia, the church, we need to be thinking along the lines of what it means to govern. We know that one of the roles we play as the sons of God is that of an ambassador. But we also govern as well. Revelation 2.26 says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to whom I will give authority over the nations. What is that going to look like? Probably not what we think it looks like when it comes to government. It's going to look different. But we have to be thinking along these lines of what it means to be wise and understanding in that. With that in mind, we have to be asking God to give us an understanding mind. We have to be asking for that. We have to be asking that we can discern between good and evil. We need to be able to call out sin when we see it, to be brave and courageous in that. We need to be able to make wise decisions that come with understanding. And again, before you're, you're thinking about your, your personal understanding, keep in mind that when you're asking God for understanding, we're doing so with a heart of oneness. Gaining understanding, it's not a game of gotcha. It's it's more than that. It isn't a contest regardless of how much some people may want it to be. It's not a, a contest of I know more. Having understanding brings us into a greater sense of knowing what action to take. Which means we're advancing the kingdom. Does God need us to advance his kingdom? No. However, he created us to do just that, to be in partnership with him. 
we execute that partnership of oneness with one another. I know when we talk about these attributes in, in Isaiah 11 to the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. We're talking about the application to Jesus Christ. And that may sound like an individual, but he is in union, in oneness with the Father and the Spirit. So we can't allow an individualistic mindset uh, to or even a focus on individualism, to blind us to oneness that we share with Christ and the oneness that we share with each other in Christ. My understanding has to benefit all of you or it's wasted. Me showing up in fullness is what is required so I can share in sharpness. And that goes for you as well. Your understanding has to benefit all of us or it's wasted. You showing up in fullness is what is required so you can sharpen and share with the rest of us. As I said earlier, oneness doesn't look like the person on the platform having all the answers. It just can't look like that anymore. We all have a part to play because we all have been gifted. We've all been anointed and done so differently. But we're all a part of the same body. So yes, wisdom and understanding, they go hand in hand. Right? They are paired together for a reason. But understanding is going to allow you to see beyond the wise decisions. It's going to allow you to discern between good and evil, to, to govern well as sons of God. So will you ask for wisdom and understanding to be able to to govern and to discern between good and Will you ask for that? Not for personal gain, but for the sharpening in oneness and ultimately the advancement of the kingdom of God. And how are you going to apply understanding? How will you put that understanding that God gives you as a gift into practice? Where do you need understanding? Have you made that known to the people that you share oneness with? Where it is that you need understanding in? If we're all seeking after understanding, if we're all going after wisdom, then, then there is a collection of understanding of people connected to God sitting right here. And so if you're lacking understanding somewhere, have you asked people? I'm going to leave you with one more quote here from Augustine. It says, faith is the first step in understanding. Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. Starts a belief. you got to believe what it is the scriptures say, which means you're putting your belief in Jesus, which is where our, our starting point is for everything, right? If we go back to Jesus as the chief cornerstone, he's the starting place for everything. The starting place for our wisdom, for our understanding, and for our oneness. Father, we thank you for the gift of understanding. We thank you for the gift of wisdom. We thank you for, for pairing them together and their distinct functions which allows us to, to make wise decisions, to be able to see beyond those. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us, what you've brought us into. And we thank you for, for the, the gift of salvation, for what you did on our behalf. right now, if there is anyone who has not put belief in Jesus and wants to do so,
wants to, to be able to walk out of here saying, salvation is mine. That's, that is a, a singular decision to say, I believe. There is no magic incantation to say. It is simply believing. Father, we thank you for the, the simplicity of the gospel. We thank you that there is this understanding for those of us who believe. what you've done on our behalf just doesn't make sense. There, there is no understanding of it outside of those who believe. It doesn't make sense, but it's so beautiful. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.